This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today, we've got Gabe Bradovsky here, and he's going to tell us all about his experience investing in Austin, Texas, and how you can do exactly what he's doing, too. Hey, Gabe, how are you? Hey, Jordan. I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Doing great. Great to have you on here. I know we've been waiting to get this scheduled here for a while, and I can't wait to hear all about what you're doing here in Austin. Right on, man. I, uh, you know, I imagine... I may have less insights to share on Austin real estate specifically than some of your guests, but maybe we'll branch out and touch on other topics as well. Yeah. You know, we like to talk about Austin real estate, but then I think just general real estate investing applies almost everywhere. Yeah. The Austin Mm. market is different and you need to tailor your approach to the Austin market, but it's important to have the general real estate investing principles down no matter where you're investing. And that's what we like to talk about on this show. So Gabe, real quick, who are you and how are you involved with real estate investing? Hmm. So I've been a software engineer for about the last seven years. Uh, was just talking to Jordan before we started recording, telling him I'm, I'm leaving that W2 job no later than January. And I'm actively looking to buy a business, a small business in, in this area right now. So that's the main thing I have going on. Um, you know, I found myself for a couple of years up until about late 2019 I actually don't know how the idea of real estate investing got into my head, but I found myself saying things like one day I'm going to, you know, buy some multifamilies. I'm going to invest in real estate. It's just kind of an idea that got in my head. And then one day, I think it was around December of 2019. I I couldn't even tell you what happened or what changed. But one day that went from I'm going to buy real estate someday to I need to buy real estate right now. This is an emergency. And so I started reading everything I could, you know, reading books, listening to every episode of Bigger Pockets podcast, pretty much just learning as much as I possibly could, interviewing realtors, uh, just getting getting involved as much as I could. Um, and so about what, I guess by about three months later, I was ready at the time I was living in Los Angeles. And so this was March, February, March of 2020, right around the time COVID hit, I was about this close to pulling the trigger on a three unit property in Los Angeles in Eagle Rock that I was going to house hack. And that ended up getting pretty squirrely once COVID hit. You know, what had looked like a pretty good deal started to look like less of a good deal. Contractors weren't returning phone calls. The property manager who I'd been working with uh, was suddenly telling me he thought I should be really careful. And then that property ended up selling. You know, I tried to negotiate the price way down. They budged a little bit, but not much. That property ended up selling a few months later for 10% less than I almost paid for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think I dodged a bullet there. In LA, did they not have a horrible time during COVID with tenants paying rent? I think I heard a lot of horror stories there. Do you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't followed too closely because I didn't end up buying in LA and I, in retrospect, I'm glad I don't own any real estate in California, but yeah. uh, I would imagine between rent control and rent, you know, eviction moratoria and all of that, I would imagine collections have been difficult. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would be nervous to own real estate in LA specifically, but especially mm. in California, anywhere. Um, very tenant heavy, not not so much on the side of the landlord. Um, right. Just a little nervous. Of course, everybody's going to treat their tenants correctly, but you know, you, you don't want to be able to have somebody sitting in your property and you can never raise the rent, nor can you get them out when they're not paying rent, which a lot of people are dealing with that right now. Thankfully, here in Texas, we are getting out of that, but I don't know when each individual state will get out of that. So I have a feeling if I had bought that property in LA with a long enough time horizon, if I could have just, you know, rode out the difficulty this past year, I think on a long time horizon, 10, 15 years, I would have worked out well anyway, but I ended up buying some real estate in Florida and Texas instead, which I feel great about. That's awesome. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. definitely landlord friendly states compared to a friendly state there. Right. Um, So I guess moving on then, why Austin? You know, why did you choose to move to and then invest in Austin? Mm. So I just moved to Austin with my fiance and our cat beginning of this year. I guess we moved very end of February, beginning of March. And, you know, she and I had been talking for a while about like, where, where do we want to live long-term? We've lived a few different places together. Mm-hmm. We weren't sort of both in love with any of them. You know, like we like we lived in Denver together, in San Francisco, um, in Jacksonville, Florida, which is another place that I've bought some real estate. And we liked things about all those places, but we weren't in love with any of them. And, you know, for any of those places, we we couldn't really agree, like, this is where we would want to settle for 30 years. You know, this is where we'd want to plant roots. And so we got to having that discussion, like, well, where would we want to plant roots? And and Austin kept coming up, you know, both in our friend circles, in terms of like people we follow in various fields. I, I started to feel like every single week I was hearing about more people I know who are just like intelligent, influential, dynamic kind of people moving here. You know, like just for example, like a lot of the, a lot of the podcasters I follow who are, you know, who I think are like really interesting kind of thought leaders and conversation leaders, like Lex Friedman's one example, Joe Rogan's an example that a lot of people know of. Um, I just felt like a lot of people who are having interesting conversations, doing interesting things were moving here. Obviously all the tech played into that too. Yeah. Um, it just, it just seemed like the place. And I, I, I had been here before a couple of times I had spent probably a grand total of a couple of weeks in Austin over the years. And, and I really liked it. And it, it just seemed like it was having a moment. And uh, I came here and visited in December and was looking at some real estate thinking like, maybe it's a good time to buy a house. Um, you know, so I was working with uh, the realtor I was working with was our mutual friend, Diego Corzo. And, you know, I was talking to him about the real estate market here and, and looking at some houses and seeing, seeing how hot the, the sort of offer situation was and what a seller's market it was and how it was going up. And I decided to not buy just one, but two houses here. So I bought a personal home and I put earnest money down on a new, new build, new construction that I don't know exactly what the exit plan is yet. I'll probably hold it for at least a year, maybe longer, and then probably sell it for, you know, for some pretty good uh, appreciation. I think that's already appreciated about, if I'm not mistaken, something like 10 or 15%. Oh, wow. And I, you know, and I haven't even bought it yet. I haven't even, you know, like I have the price like in, but I haven't even put a down payment on it yet because it's not finished being built. Mm-hmm. And similarly, this house that I'm sitting in now that I closed on in January uh, has been going up like 
1% a week. You know, I think you know, I, I, I closed on this house for 472 in January. The current Zestimate is like 560, I think, I'm, but I'm pretty sure I can sell it for over 600, maybe seven even, I'm not even sure. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting thing about Austin right now. And you mentioned all the podcast people moving here and, you know, supposedly we have Elon Musk roaming around here somewhere. Hey. Tim Ferriss has been here for a few years. You know, he That's said, right. I can't do San Francisco anymore and took off a while ago. But, you know, you we haven't had anybody on this podcast that's talked about this, but I've talked to so many people in person or, or on online that say, hey, I bought a new build or I put a new build under contract here. By the time I closed on it, it was absolutely 10, 15, 20% higher up here. Um, and I think you know, the building timeline, it takes, maybe it takes 12 months to build a house, six to 12 months to build a house. And last year, just the greater Austin area appreciated 28%. Wow. Put a house under contract in the beginning of the year. And then it closed a year later, your house is worth so much more. Um, so I want to talk about that real quick. Obviously, the the one you're in that you live in, you bought that that was previously built, correct? Correct. And forgive me, you're down south? Yeah, down by South Park Meadows. Okay. Yeah. It's a great area. Um, close to everything. Obviously, appreciating really quickly. Where is the new build that you have under contract? It's only about what, five miles from here. It's, it's just on the east side of, I'm, I'm west of 35. This other house is east of 35. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like, uh, what, Onion Creek, you call that? It's like just outside of city limits. The, sub, the development is called uh, Cloverleaf by Braun Homes. Oh, cool. so, I can't really take credit for that one. Like, I mean, basically, Diego told me about it. He told me, I believe he told me that both he and David Osborne were buying investment homes there and that it was investor friendly community. And I was just like, okay, if, if people smarter than me are doing it, I'm like, why not? I'm just going to make a bet on Austin real estate. Let's do this. Awesome. So that yeah. one is just purely appreciation, correct? Are you counting on any sort of cash flow there? Or are you just buying it for the appreciation? I'm buying it for the appreciation. I, I expect it to break even or potentially even lose a few hundred bucks a month mm -hmm. while I, while I hold it, or at least until or unless rents go up significantly. But if I hold it for a year and sell it for a hundred K or 200 K more than I paid for it, then no big deal. Yeah, that's a, a great play. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just curious because we haven't had anybody on here that's talked about single family investing for appreciation. I know I've talked to so many people that are doing it in the Austin area and people that have made out quite well. Um, there's it's obviously risky. There's a reason why most investors say they'll only accept positive cash flow. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't blame them. I'm not gonna. I, I actually, honestly, can't claim that this was like a super well reasoned decision. It, uh, it was, it was almost more of like, you know, so like other, the first, you know, little multifamily that I bought, I uh, that I house hacked in Jacksonville. Uh, you know, like I, I analyzed the hell out of every deal that I was looking at and like made sure I would only buy something that totally made sense. And then this one honestly was more like my gut says this is a good idea. Like it's it doesn't really pan out in terms of cash flow. I don't think it's going to cash flow. It'll break even if, if things go well. But I, I just feel like Austin's blowing up and I want to like put some chips on black. <laughs> it's kind of more like it, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Um, I think. 
you have to, yeah. I, and like you said, a lot of investors will tell you, you know, don't, don't bet on appreciation, but I think there's a lot of other factors to pay attention to with the Austin market. You know, people say, I only buy for cash flow. And I get that. I buy a lot for cash flow. But if you're buying in the Austin market and you can make it break even, or like you said, just lose a little bit, and you're in an area where 180 plus people a day are moving and all these big companies keep moving in, and it's just one after the other after the other, you, you have to take some educated bets there. And I think they're, they, they can still be bets, but like you said, you're probably not going to lose money on it. You know, there's there's not any any horrible downside there. You know, maybe you don't make as much as you'd hope, but maybe you just make a little bit. If you buy something and a year or two later, the area is grown by 180 people a day per day, it's hard to imagine that prices have gone anywhere but up. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, it sounds like you just said, hey, here's some people that have been doing this for a while in this area. They're doing it really well. I think I'm just going to go along for the ride here. And I think that is sometimes a great cheap heuristic is if you see someone who's really successful in a certain area and you can easily mimic something they're doing, it, it might, it might be worth a shot. Yeah. Some R and D rip off and duplicate. Right. Yeah. So you know, you, you said this house is not built yet. When will you be closing on this property? So we just had some back and forth the other day about uh, when the closing date is going to be. So I think it should be between two and three months from now should be the closing. Oh, cool. Are you having any delays from supply chain issues or labor issues or any of that kind of stuff? I mean, there have been delays because of the weather, because of all the rain. Uh, they haven't told me about any delays specifically related to supply chain, but this is, uh, you know, so it's, it's Braun Homes. I don't know where they fit in in terms of size of all these builders, but it's, you know, it's a pretty big uh, multi-state organization, I believe. So, I, you know, I would imagine they have the economies of scale to be able to deal with some of those kinds of problems, or at least be able to like shield the end customers from them. But I haven't specifically heard about any of that. Yeah. Yeah, the only negative, well, negative thing that's happened to a client of mine on a new build is they ran out of brick. So they said, mm. oh, so sorry, we'll have to give you stone. It's more expensive. We'll pay the difference. Here you go. Oh, so that's not bad. Stone house rather than brick, which they were totally fine with. Yeah, it's a nice free upgrade. Yeah, yeah, I haven't had anything negative happening. I think all these builders are going to go out of their way to make sure things happen on the best schedule they can. and the way they said they were going to. So yeah, I'm sure you will absolutely close on time, maybe a little late, but nothing crazy. Um, so, you know, Gabe, you said you've been in tech for a long time and you'd always thought about real estate investing. What specifically about real estate investing was attractive to you? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Mm. 
I think after a couple of years in tech, you know, and by the time I sort of get interested or think about real estate investing, this is when I was working at Airbnb in San Francisco. So I was kind of in the belly of the beast of, of Silicon Valley. You know, I really got an up close look at the tech industry and the, the epicenter of it in Silicon Valley. And I, I just started to realize that it was, it was not really as good of a way to get wealthy as I previously thought, unless you were either going to get into some kind of executive role or start your own tech startup, which is obviously very risky because most of them fail. Um, you know, you can like, you can, you can get a, a mid-level engineering job, let's say in a Silicon Valley company and be making 300 K a year on paper. Although like, you know, it, maybe some of that is, uh, stock units, which aren't public yet. So, so they can't be sold. It's, you know, part of your hypothetical compensation, but it's not liquid. And then obviously you're paying California taxes, which are, which are very high. You're paying uh, Bay area rents, which are insanely high. So, you know, I was, I was starting to realize like, Hey, I'm working like 50 hours a week and they're giving me a ton of perks, you know, like all these free meals and like cool trips and like, just like awesome, fun office culture, like, you know, more perks than you know what to do is, but I'm working more, more hours than I'm spending, you know, waking hours at home. Um, I'm making what sounds like a lot of money, but I'm not keeping most of it. Sure. You know, most of it, most of it is going to taxes and going to maintain my lifestyle of living in one of the most expensive cities in the world. Um, and I just realized like there, ha there has to be a better way, you know, like I'm, uh, I have this external, uh, totem of success now that I've been wanting, that I've been going for all this time, but it's really just like, it's just a lot of continual work, which is really making someone else more successful than it's making me. You know, that's, that's, that's what occurred to me about working in other people's businesses, you know, in, in any capacity was someone else's I'm, I'm working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, depending on the week, someone else, I'm, and I'm getting paid well, better than most people, but someone else is capturing the majority of my productivity or the fruits of my labor. Yeah. And so it just got me thinking about ways that I could be keeping all the money I was making instead of just spending it on lifestyle, basically, or trying to always make more by working harder. I love, I love what you just said there. So you said ways you could keep more of the money you made. I, I love house hacking just for that reason. You know, I love living in a property that I've purchased with low money down and living for really cheap. So I live in a duplex here in East Austin, roughly 700 bucks a month right now. Um, that's not bad for me. I know you've done some hacks to save money. Can you talk about just your, your hacks of, how you can save money. Obviously you've house hacked anything else you've done. I lived in my van for like a year. I don't know. I don't know. actually know. You know, I think, I think honestly, I would have had to have lived in it for longer to really save money on that because I pay, you know, I bought the van new and I, and I, and I paid uh, a company that does it professionally to convert it really nicely for me. Oh. So I think if I had lived in it for a couple, maybe more like three years mm -hmm. altogether, it would have ended up, you know, paying for itself. I actually think it's still in the long run going to, because now I'm renting out the van. And so it's, it's starting to bring me income. Um, the, you know, I, I kind of cut that adventure short because of COVID. 
showering at the gym was uh, and living in a van in the streets of LA was great pre-COVID. And then in March of last year, it started to suck really fast. So I stopped doing it. <laughs> um, what what outlet do you use to rent out the van? So I've looked at Turo and things like that, mm. cars. Yeah, so for, for cars, there's Turo or some others. For vans or RVs, there's Outdoorsy, RV Share. Um, I currently have, uh, so actually I found a guy who owns an RV repair and consignment and rental business nearby. And so he's managing it for me. So at this point, uh, you know, it's not as much income as if I was managing it myself, but he's much better situated to, to, you know, store them, to repair them, to manage the rentals. Um, and, and this makes it essentially completely passive income for me. So I'm happy to accept a lower return. That's awesome. So he takes care of the repairs and maintenance on it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously like, uh, anything that's not going to be covered by warranty or anything like that, I'll have to pay out of pocket, but, um, you know, like a lot, like he's, you know, he's a, he's, he's, you know, he's a guy who knows about RVs, who knows about engines, who knows about fixing problems with vehicles. That's not my skill set. So uh, it would just be so much more of an uphill battle for me to either be always having to find the person who's going to be doing the repairs or be learning how to do them myself. Um, it's just, he's, it's just much easier for him to be able to incorporate this into his existing business. Yeah, no, I know a few people who who bought RVs or vans or whatever over the last year, and now they're starting to rent them out. I think everybody's biggest question that I always hear is, what happens if it gets wrecked or damaged? And I mean, you have insurance for that. Yeah. Uh, and so actually, some of these companies, I know, especially Outdoorsy, has a pretty good insurance policy that comes with every rental. Okay, cool. Awesome. So another way to supercharge your house hack. So if you're working from home right now and you're house hacking, rental cars are an insane premium. Maybe rent out your car. If you've got a van or a camper or an RV, absolutely spot you can rent that out too. So I actually really love the model of having assets that are partially yours to use personally and partially rentals. Yep. So, you know, like the van's getting rented out, but if I need it, so for example, I used it a couple of, couple of nights a few weeks ago i you know just drove over picked it up and used it for my trip brought it back um i actually did buy another a, a bigger class crv that i've got i'm managing too and um as far as that goes i'm on the list for a cyber truck so that's my plan for that is to use it myself just you know just just for fun just like on occasion and then spend most of the time running it out yeah that's awesome i think a lot of people have vehicles or that they're not using or rvs campers the there's not that much risk in just renting them out rent them out makes money off of them you know they might right they may become an asset rather than a liability right huge when you're trying to reduce your expenses um all right gabe you know we talked about this a little bit before the show started could you tell our listeners just a piece of advice you've learned on how to avoid a bad deal or something that's gone wrong with your real estate investing journey that you would go back and change if you did it again? Mm. I mean, an obvious one that every single real estate investor will tell you is you make your money when you buy. So don't pay too much, you know, and like, don't fall in love with something. These are cliches for a reason. 
uh, don't fall in love with someone that doesn't love you back. Don't overpay for a piece of real estate or a business or some inanimate thing that doesn't love you back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like probably one of the best decisions I've made in my real estate investing career so far was to not pull the trigger on that first deal that I had under contract, even though I was like itching to get a deal done, but it was just starting to feel squirrely. And, you know, my intuitions were kind of going in both directions. I, I talked to some more experienced people and they mostly told me don't do it. So I didn't do it. So that's, you know, big one is like, if you're, you know, if you're brand new, your mind might be trying to just talk you out of doing any deal out of fear. Yeah. But if a deal is questionable, if experienced investors are telling you that it's questionable at best, probably don't do it. There's always more deals. Yeah. And then on top of that, one thing you and I were talking about before, before we started recording is uh, contractors. I think that's been the biggest struggle for me so far in real estate investing. And I've talked to other investors. You've had similar feelings that uh, managing contractors has been one of their biggest pain points. And uh, so I think I probably at this point have more advice about what not to do there. Um, but so let's see. I mean, some things that I would advise people if they're just getting started is make sure you interview a lot of contractors, you know, get like as, as many bids as you can. Um, make sure you are, you have your incentives aligned with the contractor. So, you know, like, Make 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 sure that they are not getting paid in full until the job is completely done. Make sure that like the draw schedule is completely explicit and all the work is being done is completely explicit and everything is written out and that nothing is sort of like a handshake deal or just like agreed upon verbally. None of that, none of that's gonna fly. It all has to be written out and yep. totally explicit about exactly what's getting done. Um you know, I think probably one of the biggest mistakes I made with contractors is not firing them early enough. Like I'm thinking of one guy in particular who like I, you know, I accepted a couple a couple of his excuses or sob stories about why like he blew me off for a few days or why things weren't getting done when he said they were going to get done. And like in reality, you know, I let that go on for a few weeks. I should have just fired him. Yeah. As soon as he started to become unreliable, I should have fired him then and there and just like moved on, cut my losses. You know, and, and then what one mistake I made with another contractor after that was um, taking his word for it that he would be able to start work on a specific date, which was like a month in the future at that point, or maybe a little more. And so it's sort of just like pausing and you know eating the carrying costs for that time. And then and then he was a ghost when you know when the actual date came around. So actually, I you know I actually don't know. I'm not sure I know what the, what the solution to a problem like that is. I think part of it is some of those guys have so much work these days that they're probably not going to be interested in a job unless it's a big one, or they know that you have another one lined up for them. They know you have consistent work for them. Yeah. Yeah, So maybe I would have focused more also on only trying to work with contractors who I could get personal referrals for. You know, as opposed, you know, I've, I've found some of them in, I've got, I've I've found some through personal referrals, but also through like Facebook groups or things like that. And maybe I would lean more on personal referrals. You know, I think, I think people, people do care about their reputations. And so if you get someone who's a refer, you know, your realtor friend tells you a contractor who's done good work for them. They don't want you going back to your realtor friend who's referred them to a hundred people and telling them like, Hey, that guy, you know, wasn't really up to the job. So, yeah. so that, that, that would probably be a better way to source them than 
some slightly more anonymous way. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, I think finding and finding it through a realtor is a great way to find it. Cause like you said, generally these contractors want to keep the realtors happy, but you know, you already alluded to earlier there right now, they're all, a lot of them are so busy. They just don't really care unless they think they can, they can get top dollar for it or that you're going to feed them a lot of work. So you really need to be particular with who you're using right now, especially. Um, and I, I like one thing you said there earlier. Um, don't let fear of doing a deal just talk you out of deals, but you know, talk to more experienced investors and talk through the deal. A lot of times people who are not investors are going to tell you, no, don't do it. That's risky. That's bad. But you can talk to some other investors, say, hey, I've done stuff like that. Here's how it went for me. And I think it's easy to let your just personal fear, fear say that, hey, no, don't do this deal. It's a bad deal. And do that over and over and over and over. And then just never get a deal because you're always waiting for that right deal. But yeah, lean on other investors that know their stuff and you're in a much better spot. Obviously, you're in a group, GoBundance, where there's just a plethora of real estate investors and also right. you can reach out to and ask. And groups like that are awesome. You know, where you can just say, hey, I'm thinking about this. Who else has done something like this? What do I do? And you'll get mm. 10 great answers in a place like that. But um, I think it's, it's really smart to say, hey, lean on other people when you're a little nervous and can't figure out a deal. Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is exactly why in, if you're in any new endeavor, you should try to find a mentor or at least, you know, a person or a small group of people who are more experienced than you try to try to get around and spend some time talking to people who are more experienced than you in that particular thing. Because if you're brand new at something, um, your intuitions about it are probably wrong. Yeah. You know, whether, whether that's investing in real estate or a new sport, like, so, okay. So I heard, uh, the, I think it was the latest edition of the bigger pockets podcast. They interviewed, uh, David Green interviewed one of the Gracie's, you know, like one of the founding family of jujitsu. And they're talking a lot about, parallels between real estate investment and jujitsu. And I thought, which I thought was really cool because I'm a fan of both. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if you're, if, if you're, if you're new to an endeavor, you're probably going to have a lot of fear. If, you know, if you're, if you're like most people, you're gonna have a lot of fear and find a hundred excuses or ways to talk yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's a smaller group of people who are the opposite, who are going to be so gung ho, they're going to be reckless and they're going to ignore warning signs. And Either way, that you know, the chance the chances of your intuitions being correct about something, let's say some difficult, risky endeavor, whether it's real estate investing, mountain climbing, jujitsu, uh, going into business for yourself, these are all things that involve risk, that involve great reward and great risk. Mm-hmm. And if you've never done it, your intuitions are probably wrong. So talk to people who've done it a lot and ask their advice. So is that the advice you'd give to newer investors that are looking to get started? So, you know, what, what helped you get over that hump when you were buying your first, first property? Mm. Just knowledge or was it seeing other people that had done it? You know, was it one? Specific? Yeah. I think that even simply getting exposed to a lot of the stories of people who had already done it was super helpful for me. I mean, that's why, you know, you could probably find a thousand other people who Sue told you that in the months leading up to their first real estate purchase, they listened to like 200 episodes of the Burger Pockets podcast, <laughs> yep. or they read like 10 books on real estate investment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I, th- I, th- I think even, even if you don't know anyone, even if you're not in a position to like join a mastermind or you don't know any real estate investors and you're kind of shy, that's a great way to get started. Listen to podcasts, read books, just fill your brain with the stories of people who are doing this successfully. And, you know, try to make sure, I guess, that you that you are also listening to people who are telling you about the ups and the downs, not just telling you it's all gravy, it's all going to be easy because mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, there, there are going to be challenges and setbacks in anything that's worthwhile. Uh, and then as soon as you get enough confidence from that, go meet some humans, you know, go join a mastermind, go like even just join your like my city real estate investors, Facebook group. There's one for whatever city you're in. If it's got more than like a hundred thousand people and you know, you can go invite someone to coffee Yeah, absolutely. or ask questions in the group. Love that. Yeah. I think going to RIAs or meetup groups or anything, there's all sorts of people out there doing deals in your local area. Like you said, no matter what the size of your local area is, um, I would say any size town has some real estate investors and they're most likely getting together somewhere. So go find those people. Those things are opening back up now. So we're sitting here June of 2021. I know all sorts of groups are getting back together now. Uh, We're hosting groups. I'm going to groups. It's happening again. Conferences are happening. Go to conferences. Conferences are great. Mm. You know, you a lot of people shy away from a paid mastermind at first, but masterminds can be great. You know, really just the networking and masterminds is amazing. So look at all your options, get out there, you'll meet people, do some deals and just keep moving forward. I mean, a mastermind's like anything else, right? You're going to get out of it what you put into it. So you're not going to sign up for a mastermind and then get a bunch of benefit just by osmosis by being a member of the group. But if you're spending time talking to people in the group and asking for advice, then you're probably going to get some benefit. Yeah, that's a mastermind. You're surrounding yourself mm-hmm. with other people and pushing out into it and getting it back. Um, you know, so we talked about how you're investing in Austin. What's your best advice for people who are looking to invest in Austin right now? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Mm. Get a time machine? That, that, that's, that, that's a really good question. You know, so to, to be honest with you, I'm not, at this particular point in time, I have not been actively looking for more real estate investments here or elsewhere, which is not to say that I will not be again in the you know, short to medium term future. I've been spending more time looking at opportunities about businesses versus real estate. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what advice I have for people looking to invest in Austin in particular. It's a crazy hot market, obviously. I mean, prices are going up all over the country, but I think they're going up faster here than almost anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what I would tell someone if, if, if someone said like, Hey, I'm, you know, brand new to real estate investing and, you know, whatever I make, 50k a year and i have 20k in the bank you know and like i have come from my living well okay if they're if they're willing to do a house hack that's an obvious one right so like house hacking is something you've talked to a lot of people about and that i've done um if you are willing to make some kind of lifestyle sacrifice that can that can be some rocket fuel on your ability to invest in real estate if you're willing to have a bunch of roommates or you're willing to live in a you know, in one unit in a fourplex or, or a duplex or whatever, you know, and you're, and you're, you're willing to 
you're willing to accept that small lifestyle sacrifice for long-term benefit, then that's that's you know a, a pretty obvious way. Although, I mean, I think those those deals are are going to get snatched up for exactly that reason. So that's, I mean, what I want to know is you as a as a realtor and someone who's more of a professional focus on the Austin real estate market, what would what advice would you offer someone in that position? Absolutely. I mean, you just you basically just hit the nail on the head. I will continue to house hack you for at least a few years. I recommend that anybody who's able to, to like you said, sacrifice some temporary creature comforts for long-term gain, look into house hacking. There's so many ways. There's condos, single families, duplexes to fourplexes, all different kinds of stuff. Um, maybe you could buy a van and put it in the backyard and live in the van. I mean, you can get a single family and build an ADU. There's single families with ADUs. I'm a huge fan of house hacking in the Austin area. I think it could still work really, really well. Uh, like you said, they, they are harder to find than they may have been two years ago, a year ago. Mm. That doesn't mean you can't find them. I think house hacking can work in any market. So any any market cycle and, and any geographic market. But I personally believe in house hacking quite a lot. I'm finding great house hacking for myself great house hacks for myself and clients. So I think you can still do that right now. Like you alluded to, it's a little harder to find cash flowing investment property in Austin proper. If you get far enough away from Austin, you can start to make that work. But you, know, you really just have to look at the market and say, hey, what works? What doesn't? What can I do here? And absolutely, I think house hacking is a, a big one you can do in any market. So I love that. Were you, um, to sort of switch gears a little bit, were, were you, you know, active investing or, or in the real estate market in 2008? No, I was in college in 2008. Mm. So I was not, I'm 32. So yeah, no. Yeah, I'm only a couple years older than you, but I was, you know, I was not financially savvy or 2008 didn't have any money, wasn't paying any attention. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I'm wondering is how would we know, you know, if, if, if we're in another bubble, how do we know what would the signs be? Or if we're not, then how would we know what would the signs be? I, I wish I knew the answer to that question. I know, I know that I don't know. I know that if I continue to buy assets that, that break even or cash flow positive, that I don't have to worry about it so much. I because mm. I know people who bought houses in four, five, and six mm -hmm. in the last cycle. And yeah, the prices were going up, up, and up, but they were able to hold them through the downturn because they were cash flow positive. So mm. I think for me, I know I don't know. And I just do that to be, be sure. Fair enough. Yeah. And you heard you heard a lot of stories about people being underwater on their mortgages and how terrible that was. But the thing is, most of those people, if they could wait it out for a few years, they would no longer be underwater. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, sometimes the answer to a problem is to wait, just wait. Yeah. 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 It's hard to do. I mean, I've, I've had shifts in assets that I've been holding, and it's hard to hold on to an asset when you see the value drop considerably. Um, I have not held real estate during any sort of shift like that. But, you know, I've had stocks and crypto and other things mm -hmm. where the values drop considerably while I've been holding it. And every inch of your body screams, just get rid of it. It's a loser. Dump it. Don't have anything to do with it. Be done. 
it doesn't matter. You'll be better off just selling it now before it drops more. And it's easy to see why you would think that when everything else is just burning around you that I need to dump this thing while I can. But just like you said, if you have real estate and it makes sense to hold on to it, just keep holding it and you'll get back to where you were or you know, higher in the future. So real estate has never gone down so much that it hasn't been up above that in 10 or 15 years later. Mm-hmm. So I think it's smart, you know, just hold on to it. If, if something bad happens, make sure you've got good long-term debt. If you have a 30 year fixed rate mortgage, you really don't have anything to worry about. And what you're describing is in my mind, a lot of the reason why most people who have a little bit of wealth don't manage it themselves. They'll have, you know, a financial advisor that pay 1% a year to, or, or whatever. I think what separates them from people who are comfortable owning their own financial decisions is that sort of like emotional fortitude, almost, you know, that, that ability to, you know, take a look at your investments one day and feel that drop in the pit of your stomach. Like, Oh, it's, it's losing money. Like, you know, the little panicky, but, you know, butterfly feeling, mm-hmm. be able to experience that and, and still stay the course and not make panicky decisions. Yeah. No, it's, it's easy. It's not easy to not let your emotions get in the way. So absolutely easier if somebody else is helping you out with it. Hmm. Um, so, you know, so we've talked about all sorts of stuff. Do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people? Obviously you probably, you read a lot of books getting started in real estate investing. Was there one that stuck out? Hmm. So that, so the book that just came to mind isn't a real estate specific book, but you meant, you mentioned business. The book that came to mind was the E-Myth, or at least the oh, E-Myth yeah. Revisited was the version I read. You know, so I, I'm, I, at this point, I'm looking for my first business acquisition. I haven't owned or run a business in the past, but uh, I mean, that's one that I'll, I'll reread and that I, you know, I feel like I've learned a lot from, even if I haven't been able to put it into practice yet, is, is the E-Myth, which for anyone who hasn't read it, it's all about how to go from working in a business to working on a business, you know, and how like the skill set that makes someone a great baker isn't the same thing that makes someone a great bakery manager. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, a lot, a lot of that also applies to real estate investing. You know, the most, the most successful real estate investors that I know way more successful than me. Um, they're not spending a lot of time finagling contractors. Usually they're not, they're certainly not spending a lot of time uh, changing locks, changing light bulbs, you know, fixing toilets. Mm-hmm. Um, in many cases, they're not self. In some cases, they're self-managing. In many cases, they're not. But you know, I think what they have in common, really successful people in any endeavor, is they found a way to systematize it. Yeah, I love that. And the Emeth is a, an interesting book. It's actually a series too, where they have it's like the Miracle Morning, where they have the. Mm the e-myth for X business. So I have one e-myth for real estate brokerage and e-myth for property management company, um, stuff like that. So you can even dive in a little bit more narrow to what you're trying to do, but I think everybody should just read the regular old e-myth. Um, I say I have those books. I have not read them. I need to read them. So that actually throws up a flag in my head that I need to pull one of those off the shelf and get to reading it because both of those are things that I'm looking to do here in the near future. So um, I love the EMF. I think that's a great book. Nobody's mentioned that yet, actually. Both of those you're looking to do in terms of a real estate brokerage and, and what else? 
I'm brokerage team. I'm growing a team. So I think the brokerage mm. fits in real well with that. Uh, I'm going to be starting a property management company here in Austin mm. later on this year. Um, and I've managed a lot of my own property, but I've never done it for other people. So I think that book would be a great, great one for me to read. Right. So that, so there, if you are managing your own properties, then probably the way to leverage that for your own success would be to not, you know, not, not just be focused on managing your own properties, you know, like, like they're your babies and each one is like a special bespoke thing, but sort of, you know, figuring out, figuring that out as a system that you can write down and train someone else to do pretty easily and have other people manage a bunch of other people's properties for you. And mine, they can manage. And yours. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love that. Um, so Gabe, real quick, uh, I know you've talked about it a couple of times here in the show, you were looking to buy a small business in Austin. Do you have any criteria there, size business, type mm. of business, anything like that? Yeah. So for the size, I'm looking at under 5 million in revenue because that puts you under the size where you're going to have, uh, you know, like larger firms competing with you. Yeah. Um, it's very likely, but it's probably going to be over, let's say half a million to a million in revenue because I want it to be large enough that it's, uh, it's got some momentum. It has some employees very likely. Um, it's very likely going to be a service-based business. Um, so, you know, that could be any one of a number of things. Professional services encompasses a lot of things. It could be anything from landscaping to plumbing to, you know, doing people's tax returns. Um, that's not to say that I would never buy, you know, a business that was a storefront or even a restaurant or manufacturing, but more likely to buy a, a professional services kind of business. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Love it. Yeah, no, I'll... Uh certainly keep an eye out and i'm sure everybody listening to this will also keep an eye out for you if they do find a business you may be interested in or they just want to reach out to you how can people get a hold of you by all means so um i'm not super active on social media but i am on there so you can find me on facebook uh if you just search gabe Rodofsky. i think i have like a distant relative with a very similar name in the czech republic but uh there's only one in america i'm pretty sure which is me you can email me at gabriel.radovsky at gmail.com, but maybe maybe the easiest way to find me online is to search for my name on Facebook. Okay. Yeah. And you're not in the Czech Republic. So just make a note of that guys. Right. Gabe in the U S not Gabe in the Czech Republic. Right. Um, all right, Gabe, last question here. Most important question we ask, what is your favorite restaurant in Austin? There's too many, I think to name one. But I'll say I'll, I'll do one more casual and one kind of more upscale. For upscale, I would say the, the best one I've been to here so far is Uchi. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know there's others, but I've, I'm surprised by the quality of like the high-end Japanese food in Austin, actually. It's not, not what I expected, but there's a lot of great Japanese food here. And for more on the casual side, I mean, there's... Too much great barbecue here to name, but I think Valentina's is Valentina's Tex-Mex barbecue would be my single favorite if I had to pick one that I've had so far. It's great barbecue. It's just a little food truck too. So um, I've been told we we had relatively good luck getting in there and getting food. I've been told that sometimes you need to order ahead and get there early. To get yeah, there. they're only doing online orders and they're often very backed up. Like you'll you know you'll order it'll say forty five minutes. It'll take like an hour fifteen. Like so they're. They're like too, they're like too successful for their own good. 
I, I think they're actually moving into a brick and mortar location. So maybe you'll be able to order at the counter. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, absolutely order ahead though. Mm -hmm. All right, Gabe, thank you so much for coming on here. Pleasure having you. Again, if you guys want to reach out to Gabe, just search Gabe Radowski on Facebook and he's in the US, not the Czech Republic. <laughs> and yeah, if any of you guys do know someone who's looking to sell a small business or small business owner looking to retire in the Austin area, please do let me know. Absolutely. Keep a lookout for him. He would love to buy your small business or somebody that you know. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Jordan. Gabe. Great having you on here. I appreciate you, man.